Most Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us as we seek to understand the ways that you work among us. Some of us are in need of a miracle. All of us are in need of a deeper understanding of the ways in which you intervene, help, and bless. Forgive our speaker. You know his sins are many. Help us to see Christ, just Christ. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Your next miracle might be as near as the Naples Cathedral in Naples, Italy. According to some witnesses, the blood of St. Janurius liquefies three times a year. Maybe you can be there to watch it. Or if Naples, Italy is too far to travel, then the weeping statue of Jesus in Houston, Texas might be an option. It has been deemed to be the source of cures and in answered prayers, as has Our Lady of the Lord's Shrine in Lourdes, France. It's the destination of many pilgrims seeking a miracle, and, and many people claim to have left their crutches at the altar. Miracles. The possibility of one compels us. The downturns of life often cause us to turn toward God and ask Him for His supernatural assistance. We need him to step in, to speak up, to clear a path, or to, to turn on a light. Yet, yet how do miracles happen? How do we qualify for his help? Is there, a, is there a miracle application somewhere that we can fill out? Where do we sign up? Do we need a, a magic chant? Do we need a visit with the Pope or a secret formula? Do we need to travel to, to Italy or to Houston or to France? How do we set the stage for a miracle? Well, maybe the clearest answer to that question is found in the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In John chapter 2, we read, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Well, fault, poor planning by the wedding planner. Blame the thirsty guests who guzzled more than their share. We're not told the reason for the wineless wedding, but we are told the request. 
of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She said, they have no more wine. Now, odds are you're not running low on Bordeaux, but you may be running low on energy or strength or hope or solutions. You, like Mary, may be needing the intervention of Jesus. If so, take a tip from her. If you like to fill in the blanks, here's the first one. Let your request be specific. They have no more wine, she said. <laughs> she models the power of a simple, specific request. I mean, could it be more simple than what she said? Our requests tend to be more vague, don't they? Dear Lord, please guide and guard and direct me as I go through this day. Uh, sometimes we tend to be elaborate and festooned. In this hour of great need, thou, O eternal one, we beseech thy kindred care to descend upon thy beloved wedding. We're even prone at times to be commanding and demanding, maybe even manipulative. I command the evil spirit of winelessness to desert these premises. I call upon the holy happiness of Napa Valley to conjure up a vintage of joy and descend upon this matrimonial moment. You know, Mary was none of that. No fanfare, no drama mama. She knew the problem, she knew the provider, and she connected the first with the second. You know, my kids did this. They had a way of telling me exactly what they needed when they needed it. I never received a phone call from, from one of my kids saying, uh, Dad, could you just be a good provider for me today? No, their, 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 their request was specific. I heard specific requests. Can you pick me up? Can I get some money? May I spend the night with my friend? Will you help me with my homework? How is it that you became such a brilliant, wise, and handsome man? Okay, that last one may have been a stretch. But the point is, I heard specific requests, and did I recoil at the specificity? Was I insulted that they dared tell me exactly what they needed? No. In fact, I, I appreciated it. It was their way of saying, I depend on you. And my fulfillment of their need was my way of saying, I'm going to protect you. You see, it falls to the Father to heed and respond to the request, the specific request of the child. So I'd like to ask you, have you done what Mary did? You see, Jesus will, he will respond to your precise need. He's not a fast food cook. He's an accomplished chef who tailors and prepares unique blessings for unique situations. In Luke chapter 4 and, and verse 40, we read about the made-to-order manner in which Jesus responds to requests. When the sun went down, everyone who had anyone sick with some ailment or other brought them to him. One by one, he placed his hands on them and healed them. Underline that phrase. One by one. Had Jesus chosen to, he could have proclaimed a, a, a blessing cloud to, be descent, to descend upon the people. But he's not a one-size-fits-all Savior. He, he placed his hands upon the people one by one, perceiving their unique need and issuing a unique blessing. We see an example of this in the story of Bartimaeus. 
Jesus was leading his followers through the city of Jericho, and a large crowd of people were following in tow. And when the blind beggar Bartimaeus heard the clamor, (laughs) he saw it for what it was. It was an opportunity. As they reached Jericho, Jesus and his disciples left town, and a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped. And he said, tell him to come here. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus threw aside his coat and jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was passing by, and he sees this as an opportunity to cry out for help. And when the people told him to be quiet, he just cried out all the more. And his insistence didn't repel Christ, did it? It attracted Jesus. Jesus stopped in the intersection, stopped on the road, and he turned around and he said, bid that man come to me. And then he asked what appears to be a very odd question. To Bartimaeus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, everyone in the crowd could have answered that question. All of the disciples could have answered that question. I'm quite confident that Jesus knew the answer to that question. But for some reason, Jesus wanted to hear Bartimaeus answer that question. What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said simply, I want to see. I want to see. And he did what Mary did. He offered a specific request. You see, a specific request ups the ante. A precise prayer gives Jesus the opportunity to meet a precise need and display his ability. A specific request turns your challenge, your struggle, your circumstance into an opportunity for Christ to show what he can do. So follow the example of Bartimaeus. Follow the example of Mary. Let your prayer be specific. And let your faith be explicit. Look at this. Mary's intercession is met with Christ's curious hesitation. Dear woman, Jesus said, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I would suggest to you that this dialogue between Mary and Jesus, mother and son, tells us as much about the mystery of miracles and prayer as any passage in Scripture. Do you want to understand and do you want to perceive the dynamic between those who offer the prayer and the one who hears the prayer? Then spend some time meditating on verses 3, 4, and 5 of John chapter 2. In verse 3, Mary presents the need. She simply says they have no more wine. There it is. 
But then according to verse 4, Jesus, her son, is curiously unreceptive, unresponsive to the idea that, well, he should intervene. He says, dear woman, that's not our problem. And then he explains, my time has not yet come. Well, apparently Jesus had an agenda. He had an appointment book. He had a calendar. And he was already scheduling in his mind the opportunity and the time that he would display his miraculous power. And Cana was not the place. And this wedding was not the event. You see, he went to the wedding for the purpose of, well, he went to the wedding for the purpose of going to the wedding. His to-do list that day did not contain an entry, turn water into wine. Angels were not lining up to watch miracle number one because as far as the angelic committee on initial miracles was concerned, the moment of the maiden miracle was scheduled for a later date. Hence, Mary's request in verse 3 was met with the word of hesitation in verse 4. I wonder if you've heard the same. I'm wondering if your biography contains a personal version of verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, you explain your shortage. No more wine, or in your case, no more time, no more energy, no more money, no more patience, no more solutions, no more strength. Your needle is on empty. Your tank has run dry. Your bank account is showing a negative balance. So you, in verse 3 of your life, you plead your case. And then comes verse 4. The hesitation from heaven. Still no wine, no change, no solutions, no money, no answer. You've modeled the request of Mary Yet your world is not different. Here's a key question. When that happens, how does your verse 5 read? You see your verse 3 is where you make the request. Your verse 4 is where Jesus gives no answer. Or at least doesn't answer in the way you want. How does your verse 5 read? The verse 5 of Mary could have read something like, She walked away in a huff or she declared that she no longer believed in her son or if you loved me you would answer my prayer or all these years of doing your laundry and cooking your meals and this is the thanks I get Mary's verse 5 however reads like this his mother told the servants do whatever he tells you translation Jesus is in charge I'm not He runs the world, I don't. He sees the future, I can't. I trust Jesus. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. What does whatever mean? Whatever means whatever. Whatever he says, whatever he commands. Even even if his whatever is a nothing whatsoever, Mary was okay with that. You see, make careful note of what happened in this moment. Mary stepped off the platform and she left the moment to Jesus. She trusted Jesus to make the right call. She revered him. 
She honored him. She trusted him. Martin Luther's commentary on this passage reads, This is where faith stands in the heat of battle. Mary does not in her heart interpret this as anger or as the opposite of kindness, but adheres firmly to the conviction that Jesus is kind and unwilling to dishonor him in her heart by thinking him to be otherwise than kind and gracious. Hence, the highest thought in this gospel lesson and must ever be kept in mind is that we honor God as being good and gracious, even if he acts and speaks otherwise. She is certain that he will be gracious, although she does not feel it. Mary made it clear. Christ was the king of the wedding. She might as well have placed a crown on his head and, and draped a robe over his shoulders because she honored Christ. Her 30 years of living with Jesus had taught her he knows what he's doing. She had faith. She had faith. Not faith that he would do exactly what she asked, but that he would do exactly what what was right. If he says yes, that's great. If he says something else, that's fine. And you see, something in this explicit faith of Mary caused Jesus to alter his itinerary, and he, he performed a miracle. And we can discover and we can learn that this attitude of reverence is a prerequisite for a miracle. We can state this with confidence because of the visit that Jesus made to his hometown. Mark chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. You see, Jesus in his own words, was in his hometown a prophet without honor. The Hebrew word for honor is kabod. It means to give weight, importance, seriousness, and value. The Nazarenes, in other words, did not take Jesus seriously. He was a prophet, but they did not give him honor. They heard him preach. They saw his deeds, and they said, huh. That's no big deal. Jesus is no big deal. Why, he's Joe and Mary's kid. We used to play catch. I remember when he used to build tables and cabinets. In fact, I think my mom has a, a chest of drawers from his shop. He's nothing special. They dismissed him. This dismissive attitude, it has serious consequences. The people refused to honor Jesus, and in doing so, it prevented him from doing mighty works. Again, note what the scripture says here. The text does not say he could not do, he would not do any miracles. It reads, he could not do any miracles. The refusal to honor Christ precludes Christ from doing his work. God has established an honor system. Where Christ is honored, miracles can happen. But where Christ is dismissed, miracles do not. 
Now, how do we honor Christ? Well, we begin by becoming a Christian. We begin by trusting him to save us. We place our hearts in his hands. We then begin to take his teachings seriously. We let him be the authority of our lives, of our marriages, of the way we manage our money or run our business or treat our families. We place him at the center of our lives. We worship him. We give him respect. We consider him and give weight to his words. We honor him. The Nazarenes did not do this. Mary, on the other hand, did this. And she did this by saying, whatever he says, whatever he says, I trust him. And Jesus was so touched by her explicit faith and specific request that he changed his time sequence and he changed the water into wine. And he was moved to do a great thing. Let's do the same. Can I encourage you to be open to a miracle? You may not be running low on wine, but you're running out of something. You're running out of energy. You're running low on hope. If so, whatever it is, come to Christ with a specific request. Be open to a miracle. And then be a part of the miracle. When you come to Christ with your specific request, do so with an explicit faith. The prayer of faith says, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want, however you answer. The prayer of faith is not a prayer that Jesus will do exactly what you want, but the prayer of faith is a prayer that says, Jesus, I trust you to do exactly what is right. We get the impression that Mary was willing to honor Christ regardless of the manner in which he responded to her request. She honored Jesus. Do the same. Do the same. Lead a life that honors Christ. Honor him. Honor him with your worship. Honor him with your relationships. Honor him with your decisions. Pursue a heart of reverence. You can set the stage for a miracle. You can come to Christ on regular, with regular prayers, daily, even hourly, specific requests. And you can honor Christ with your explicit faith that you are without hesitation believing that he is a good God and he is a kind Savior and he will do the right thing in the right way. If you want to go to France, if you want to go to Mexico, if you want to go to Houston, go ahead. But don't think for a minute that a miracle requires travel. It requires nothing more than an honest prayer and a trusting heart. Learn a lesson from Mary. Who knows? You may be drinking wine before you know it. And now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts and help us to be people of trusting faith. We surrender to you our requests and our concerns. At this moment in this prayer, we offer to you our specific requests. And we do our best now, Father, to model an explicit trusting faith in which we're saying, whatever you want to do, you do it. Our request to you, Father, is no demand. It is simply 
a child coming to a father. But we worship you, we honor you, and we know you will do what is right. Thank you, Father. Through Christ we pray. Amen.